from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy, happy, happy Wednesday to everybody. Um, if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And the Republican presidential debate is going on tonight, University of Alabama, and... The uh, participants, as usual, are, you know, one going after the next. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Tonight, we're going to talk about a bunch of different things. Uh, I want to talk about some of the uh, Ukraine and Israel aid. We'll do some post-debate analysis a little bit uh, as well. Uh, plus, there's a crazy story um, about the, the folks that push uh, Satanism. And uh, they've now um, latched on to abortion as well. We'll get into this whole Satanic abortion thing. It's kind of crazy. And, of course... We are also going to have a, a discussion on the fact that Biden wants to leave the borders open, even though he says no. But uh, it looks like they're trying to create an actual uh, merger, right? Be, you know, from like Guatemala to Texas. So we'll talk about that um, supply chain. <laughs> and of course, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about what's happening with the Girl Scouts. Uh, apparently, they've gone beyond woke. We'll talk about that as well. And, of course, we have some um, debate stuff going on. And speaking of the debate, which is on right now, uh, I don't think you're missing a ton. But uh, one of the clips that I've got is Vivek Ramaswamy. And as usual, he decides to go after everybody on stage. Listen to this. Nikki, you were bankrupt when you left the U.N. After you left the U.N., you became a military contractor. You actually started joining service on the board of Boeing, whose back you scratched for a very long time and then gave foreign multinational speeches like Hillary Clinton is, and now you're a multimillionaire. That math does not add up. It adds up to the fact that you are corrupt. Right. This is Vivek. Uh, he's been blasting her and blasting her. And listen, you know, he makes half the points he makes are really solid points. Uh, the other half, um, I, I'm, you know, I won't even say half. I just feel like it's, um, I don't, all sizzle, no steak, if, if that's, if I'm allowed to say that. Uh, I, I want to know what, what he plans to do. I, I think his criticism is eloquent and it's great and uh, he's great at it, uh, but we've got to know more, right? We've got to know what, what you bring into the table. Uh, I don't think anybody's really rooting for Nikki Haley. I think she's just got some establishment support. Uh, I don't know that that's enough to win anything, but we shall see. Now, um, she's um, trailing behind Trump. Who doesn't even show up to these things? But my uh, former boss, Governor Chris Christie, he uh, decided to call out Vivek Ramaswamy for his debate tactics. Listen to this. You do this at every debate. I'll just, I'll you exactly say, what no, 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 don't interrupt me. I didn't interrupt you. Okay? You tell say this. You, you do this. You do this at every debate. You go out on the stump and you say something. 
all of us see it on video. We confront you on the debate stage. You say you didn't say it, and then you back away. And I want to say what, exactly no, what I, I said. Chris. I'm not I done yet. Well, this now is now look. This is not a spew. This is not a spew nonsense. This is the fourth debate. The fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So <laughs> shut up for a while. And listen, that's saying a lot with the other people that are on that stage, right, <laughs> to win such a title, uh, the uh, most obnoxious blowhard. I'm pretty sure I was in the running for that once. But anyway, it doesn't end there. Then we've got Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and he says that he um, he talks about his ideas, like actual ideas to work with Israel to work with um, the conflict with Hamas. Cut 28, listen to this. Hamas wants nothing less than a second Holocaust. They would wipe off every single Jew off the map. They would destroy the state of Israel if we could. Joe Biden will say they support Israel, and then they do nothing but try to kneecap them every step of the way. You should not try to direct their war effort. We should work together with them so that they can bring Hamas to heel. Look, I served uh, in, in Iraq back in the day. Uh, I'm the only one running for president that served in the military. Uh, I understand that part of the world. Uh, it's not the best part of the world. Uh, we do have troops there that Biden is leaving basically as sitting ducks. And you have the Iranians that are attacking these troops. And he's responding with basically pinpricks. If you harm an American service member, you're going to have hell to pay when I'm president. We are not going to let our troops be sitting ducks. We also need to look at what's the underlying problem here. Iran. Biden is doing nothing to bring Iran to account. you got to turn the screws on them. Don't let them have any oil revenue. The money they get... They send to Hamas, they send to Hezbollah, and they foment jihad throughout the Middle East. So Biden has empowered Iran, just like he's empowered other adversaries. We stand with Israel. They're our best ally in the Middle East. We have a unique relationship with them, uh, and you will see a strong relationship when I'm the president of the United States. So there we got Governor DeSantis again putting some ideas out there, and um, he's yet to, to, to come on this program. We've had others, uh, even Perry Johnson, Donald Trump, uh, lots of people that were considering a run. Vivek Ramaswamy, a lot of people came on the show. Uh, but Governor Ron DeSantis uh, has been very elusive. I'm not sure what exactly he is. I'm not going to say afraid. I don't think he's afraid of the show. Maybe he is. Who knows? Uh, if you guys know Ron DeSantis or you want to tag him at Ron DeSantis and ask him, what's going on? Why, why, why don't you come on the show? Uh, I don't think I would give him an extraordinarily hard time. I think I'd just ask some questions. But either way, we haven't heard much from him uh, on this show, but I thought his responses there were, were uh, worth listening to, right? He's the only one that's not beating up everybody else. He's actually uh, putting out a plan. And uh, I wanted to end off with uh, one more cheap shot. Here we go. Uh, cut number 26. This is uh, Vivek Ramaswamy taking one more swipe at Nikki Haley. We're marching towards fascism under Biden. Jack Smith has subpoenaed every last retweet that someone has issued from Donald Trump in the year 2020. The only person more fascist than the Biden regime now is Nikki Haley, who thinks the government should identify every one of those individuals with an ID. That is not freedom. That is fascism. And she should come nowhere near the levers of power, let alone the White House. There you go. So uh, he continues to uh, rail against Nikki Haley. And I think, that, listen, I get it. Uh, her numbers are polling better than everybody else's. So she's the person to take out. But I think that's only because there's been that, you know, uh, Koch brothers uh, infusion and whatnot. 
from um, Republicans and Democrats that don't want to see Trump win. So we'll continue to see how that how, how it plays out. I'll keep you up to speed on that. Uh, plus, we're going to have a little bit of a discussion on that, uh, get some opinions from Ashley Hayek. She is uh, the executive director at America First Works, and uh, we're going to talk about that, the uh, debate over Israeli aid, Ukrainian aid, and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Amigos, Rich Valdez here with you straight till 1 a.m. Eastern time. And uh, I mentioned that our guest, Ashley Hayek, executive director of America First Works, is joining us. And Ashley Hayek, welcome to the program. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I wanted to talk about this stuff because uh, we, we had a little bit of a, of a back and forth about something that, uh, you know, I would have normally described it that way. But it was legit put in print on the Cosmopolitan site, a satanic abortion. And there's like a whole article describing how a satanic abortion ceremony even works. Tell us more about this. Yes. Last week we saw Cosmo. Well, there was an article and then multiple graphics, and I think they posted it a couple times too, how to get a satanic abortion. And as a Christian, as a Catholic, this mocks the sanctity of motherhood and Christianity. And it's disgusting that a mainstream magazine, now this magazine has millions of viewers or and, you know readers from around the world um, that and they target young women that they would serve this type of content to young women. Um, I, I can't, it's mind boggling to me that anybody would think that this is a good idea and it's not where the majority of Americans or even the majority of women are. Um, I come from a place where a majority of women who have like common knowledge, the majority of women who are faced with an unplanned pregnancy, they don't want to choose abortion, right? But the idea of promoting a satanic abortion is just evil. And it's I will never let my daughters, I have four, near that magazine or publication. You know, Ashley Hayek, this is really one of those things that I think is, you know, I don't like it, but I, I, I'm with you here. Why would such a popular fashion magazine like Cosmopolitan um, decide to, to put an article out there about having a satanic-themed abortion? Now, it, it was specific when it talked about it being a ceremonial thing, kind of like a service that they were providing. And, um, and it joked with saying, you know, Sam Alito's mom, satanic abortion clinic, uh, trying to insult Justice Alito. Uh, but it, it goes on and it talks about lots of different things. And, and I just when I think about it, I, I think, who are they selling here? Now, I think part of the problem here is that maybe you and I and others that are listening tend to think that we may not like abortion and perhaps we might be of the opinion that it shouldn't be a thing, but we do realize it's a, it's a state level thing and, and people are doing it anyway. So I think that's what, uh, uh, you know, I think that's a mainstream view, but the 
the bigger issue at hand, I think, is I think that's not the case when you go down to like younger than 35. I think uh, even maybe even younger than 40, perhaps. I think a lot of people younger than, than 40 or even 35, um, they feel like, oh, no, absolutely. You should have abortions like abortions are, are legit, like breathing. If a woman can't have an abortion, it's it's a sin. Right. And I th- I've met a ton of people like that. I've met some very conservative people like that. They're just uh, they're not very um, um, attuned to their faith. But this is my point. I think faith has dissipated in, in, a, in a very big way. And amongst Republicans, amongst conservatives, you have a lot of people that say that the 2022 um, uh, midterm election um, was was tight because of abortion. Do you think that uh, I'm wrong in my thinking? Do you think that I might be right? What's your take? Well, I think a couple of things. Number one, we are in a culture crisis right now. No sure. doubt about it. Um, I don't. If somebody wants, if somebody wants to have something like that done, if someone like is celebrating it, like the left is, that is a mm-hmm. major problem. Um, it should not be tolerated in our culture. Unfortunately, it is. And I think part of the reason is because the left views this um, as a, and maybe even some of the pro-choice Republicans believe that it is a right. And when you try and take a right, they view as a right away, they become very angry. Now, the problem at this point is that we have become a, a country that is in line with China and North Korea when it comes to abortion policy. Um, it's hard to imagine that the United States of America, we would near the same unhumanitarian policies of those regimes. But unfortunately, that's what the left extreme late term abortion stance is. And then on the you add that other level with the satanic ritual, they're trying to make it seem cool. They're trying to make it seem, oh, this is an edgy thing to do. Um, you see at the award shows now how they have, you know, the artists, I don't even watch them anymore. I used to watch them. Um, and now they're just so horrific, but they just like Satan. Um, and you saw at target this year, you know, when they had mm-hmm. all of the, even recently with the Christmas decorations dressed up, uh, or decor is satanic themed. Um, it's a crisis. And so I think it's just the brainwashing by the radical left of pushing this notion that this is a, you know, a right. And it's, it's not a right to take someone's life away, but, also, conservatives have just really kind of missed the mark on some of the framing around this. A couple things in 2022 and also in 2023, the left mm-hmm. has done a phenomenal job of taking a singular issue and using it to motivate their base and to use that issue to drive turnout. Um, Hogan Gidley uses the phrase that conservatives are like the dog that caught the car. When Roe v. Wade was finally overturned after years and years and years of trying mm-hmm. to get that exact result, we weren't prepared for it. And we didn't have a solution and we didn't have um, a plan. And so that's where conservatives have got to start figuring this right. out. And they so did, we can right? They had the plan yeah. of saying, oh, my oh, gosh, so and so is going to need an abortion in one state and have to go to the other state. And they're, you're going to kill her. Trump is killing so and so or Trump is killing a little girl that was raped. And it was it was horrific. And the media had their back. And and, and this is where everything you're saying rings true. I think, you know, you've got Cosmopolitan magazine, you've got CNN, you've got all the networks, the newspapers, the New York Times, you name it, uh, the classroom, the college campus. Um, show me a place, uh, half of the church, show me a place where they're not embracing, accepting and uh, promoting abortion. It's difficult. So uh, even if we had a plan, uh, it'd be difficult, I think, to, to, to get our message out. 
Yes. No. Well, and it's also, yeah, it's also part of actually a bigger plan too. Yesterday, uh, FBI Director Christopher Wray testified at Congress um, and they went out, they've been going after the Catholic churches, right? We know that they're going after pro-life advocates and pregnancy resource centers. So this is a much, this is a piece of a much larger plan to villainize uh, pro-life activists, to villainize, um, you know, the religious space who are traditionalists, right? That's the word that he used, that they used in their memo. Um, so this is all just part of a plan and they're very organized. So we have to remind people that, the left, every Democrat senator except for one, voted in favor of an abortion in seventh, eighth, nine month of pregnancy when a baby can feel pain. And every single senator, especially going into 2024, needs to answer the question, are you okay with that? Because that's what you voted for. Because I will tell you, the majority of Americans do not agree with that on any level. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're, you're right. And I think this is what we, we need to, to push and I want to talk a little bit more about this villainization of, of the Catholics and Christopher Ray's testimony as soon as we come back. Folks, we're on with Ashley Hayek. She is the executive director of um, America First Works, and that's AmericaFirstWorks.com. And we're going to continue straight ahead with her. Ashley, let everybody know how they could get you on social media. Um, it's pretty simple. It's at Ashley Hayek. H-A-Y-E-K, or at America First Works. Outstanding. And folks, as always, whenever we have these interviews, you can listen to the replay of this anytime and share it with folks. If you want people to hear what Ashley had to say, just go to com and you can share it for um, free. You don't have to subscribe or anything like that. So you can go ahead and do that. Straight ahead, we're going to discuss the villainization and the attack on Catholics through the weaponization of the FBI. We'll hear that testimony from FBI Director Christopher Wray and get some uh, reaction to that. So don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. And if you want to join the conversation, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be right back. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. <laughs> I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. America at Night with Rich Valdez.
But I can tell you that we don't investigate people for their exercise of their constantly protected, constitutionally protected religious expression. I, I that particular can't. intelligence product is something that as soon as I saw it, I was aghast. I had it withdrawn. Really, you were aghast. I was. And, oh, really? Yes, and what sir. have you done about it? Did you fire the people who wrote it? No, I had it withdrawn. Have you fired anybody involved in it? Senator, if you will give me a chance to answer That's a your yes question. or a no. It's not hard. Have you fired anyone involved in the writing of that outrageous memo about which, frankly, you've repeatedly misled the public? Yes or no? The individuals involved have in that product. Have you fired anyone? Not, just a minute. We're not found to have engaged in any intentional or bad faith conduct. And in fact, in fact, Senator, a number of the individuals so the involved no. a number of the individuals involved in writing that product in the Richmond office were themselves Catholics. So the notion oh, I see. that so they were targeting they, their own oh, faith. Oh, so they is have nonsense. a get out of jail free card. I see. I they, see. So you're I immune and they're that. immune. So we shouldn't ask questions about it. You haven't done a darn thing. You haven't fired anybody. Okay, so there you go, Senator Josh Hawley, uh, having a little bit of a throwdown there with um, Christopher Ray, FBI director. Our guest, Ashley Hayek, is there, and um, she's uh, standing by. Um, Ashley, wh- wh- what was your initial reaction to hearing what Christopher Ray uh, had to say? You know what's funny is um, I heard a quote, the devil knows scriptures, right? So he, so <laughs> Christopher Ray talks about the uh, other agents, and, you know, they're Catholics, they're Christians, but they're literally persecuting and prosecuting Catholics. And the other thing that actually made me really think about was that let's go back to the first Trump impeachment. The FISA warrant was narrated from a news source, Yahoo News, to investigate Donald Trump. In this case, the FBI was able to generate the memo from um, news sources as well. So that memo that they're talking about, that those uh, FBI agents had put together out of their Richmond office, relied on sources like The Atlantic, which is a super liberal publication, um, The Salon, and then also the Southern Poverty Law Center Group, a total radical organization. So when Donald Trump said, they're coming after you, I'm just in the way, this example is exactly what he was talking about. Donald Trump is a threat to the establishment. And now what the FBI called the so-called traditionalist Catholic churches are a threat to establishment because the Catholic churches, the conservative ones, are trying to protect life, um, and they are trying to secure the nuclear family. But remember, it's not just the Catholics. The Catholics, it's the parents at the school board meetings. It's the Army veteran at the rally. It's the dad who is praying outside of the pro-life center. You know, it's today them that they're going after. Tomorrow, it's going to be the evangelicals. It's going to be the Jewish Americans. Shoot, we're seeing some of that today, right? You know, dissent. Mm-hmm push back against the government, they will come for you. This is Marxism, and this is this is totally the policies of Joe Biden, of his DOJ and the FBI. Christopher Wray, in my opinion, is the top general for Joe Biden and his agenda. And the bottom line is, if we lose freedom of speech, if we lose freedom of religion, we will lose our country. I, I think you're spot on. And, and I, I feel like this is such a... It's such an ugly thing. I don't know what word to use here uh, because it really is um, something where I, I feel more deflated than I do angered. And maybe that's not the right emotion, but it's literally how I feel. I look at this and I say, my goodness, you've got all these people that took an oath and, and, and nobody walks away. Nobody says, you know what, I'm going to get sorry, kids. You're not going to get new toys. Sorry, wife. We're going to move into an apartment. I, I'm not going to get up. 
I know that I, I worked in state government for, I don't know, two years, maybe three. And I, I had to get out of there. I couldn't do it. And that was a little swamp in New Jersey. Just imagine the big swamp in D.C. Mm-hmm. There's certain things that I just I, I can't be a party to. And that's why I love this job, because I get to say whatever I feel like. And it's great. But I, I understand that people have bills to pay. But like Stuart Scheller, the uh, lieutenant colonel that, you know, uh, blasted his superiors for what happened in uh, Afghanistan. Mm, that's I think right. This guy's an American hero. And, and when it happened, I said, hey, kudos to him. God bless him. But where are the rest of them? Like, why aren't the people that have uh, if, if they don't stand up and I'm not faulting anybody, but I'm just saying if they don't stand up, I'm, I'm just a voice in the wind. Right. I'm a guy on the radio. These people are there within. If I criticize uh, Biden, they're like so. And you do that every day. But if somebody that's within the establishment comes out like Stuart Scheller did. And yes, they put him in jail. And I get it. Not everybody's willing to take that chance. But ultimately, I, I think if people on the inside aren't going to stand up or walk away and, and not be a party to it and they're going to go ahead and do it. Christopher Ray is one man. But you have all these people that yeah. will go ahead and, and follow an order that they know is not the right order. And and again, not going after uh, these people. I'm just questioning why I feel like I'm missing something. Yeah. Here. And, and, well, and it leaves me deflated. They're afraid. I mean, look at the two IRS whistleblowers that came out uh, to highlight what happened with Hunter and Joe Biden, right? Their lives have been turned upside down. Look at Matt Taibbi, who is one of the um, the people who uncovered the Hunter Biden laptop story right. um, and all of the Twitter files. His life was turned upside down. You know, this is an administration that goes after their enemy. It's a Marxist administration. You know, Democrats are the ones who claim conservatives are domestic terrorists. They call Republicans yeah. a threat to democracy. But you know how we know what they are because that's what they're accusing us of. So right. we just have to remember that. Yeah, exactly. And the only way we can do this is to and to save America is really we have to shut down the FISA system, number one, and any sort of unwarranted investigations. We need a president who will restore power to the American people in the White House. And finally, we need to dismantle the FBI um, one thing that you said earlier, and I don't know if you saw this, but people take an oath of office. There was a school board mm-hmm. member who was sworn in today in Central Bucks, so Bucks County, Pennsylvania. It's a bellwether county in, a, in our, one of our target states. Swore in for public for a school board office, the school board member, on one of the um, raunchy books that are getting banned in the public schools. Wow. That is what she chose to, to take her oath of office on is a dirty book that she clearly is advocating to put in our children's schools. Think about that. That's that's the culture crisis we're dealing with today. Unreal. Unreal. There's <laughs> Again, if people don't stand up and I don't mean violence or anything crazy, but if people don't stand up and speak out and and, and the reason that woman got a school board seat is because somebody else didn't run and beat her. And, and, and that's yeah. up to the parents in that neighborhood. And, and that's what I'm talking about. Everybody's got to do something somehow. Otherwise, we're screwed. Ashley Hayek is a political strategist. And, of course, she's the executive director at America First Works. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about her work with America First Works and uh, get her uh, opinions on some of the uh, the clips coming out of the Republican debate where the number one contender, Donaldus Magnus El Trompito, he's not even there. And he's probably going to win this debate, too. Don't go anywhere, folks. It's Ashley Hayek with me, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. I'm sick of hearing about these polls because I remember those polls in November of 2022. They said there was going to be a big red wave. It was going to be monumental, and that crashed and burned. The one place it didn't crash and burn was in the state of Florida. They weren't predicting to, uh, that I would win the way I did, and I won the greatest Republican victory in the history of the state of Florida. I'm looking forward to, to Iowa and New Hampshire. The voters are going to be able to speak, and we're going to earn this nomination. And here's what we need. Uh, I am sick of Republicans who are not willing to stand up and fight back against what the left is doing to this country. You've got to be willing to stand strong and you've got to be willing to beat these people. I'm the only one running for president that has beaten these people on issue after issue. Uh, we beat the teachers unions when we did school choice. We beat Fauci on COVID. We beat George Soros when we removed two of his radical district attorneys. We beat the Democrats on election integrity. I have delivered results. That's what we need for this country. And you have other candidates up here like Nikki Haley. She caves anytime the left comes after her, anytime the media comes after her. I did a bill in Florida to stop the gender mutilation of minors. It's child abuse and it's wrong. She opposes that bill. She thinks it's fine and the law shouldn't get involved with it. If you're not willing to stand up for the kids, if you're not willing to stand up and say that it is wrong to mutilate these kids, uh, then you're not going to fight for the people back home. I will fight for you and I will win for you. All right. That is uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis defending uh, why his poll numbers are so disappointing in this race. That was his response. Our guest Ashley Hayek, executive director at America First Works. Ashley, what are your thoughts on Governor DeSantis's uh, response? Well, one of the things that immediately came to mind was as he was talking about some of the his, the things that he was going to do or could do. There, those are. I'll give you a couple examples. One example he talked about was tying university university funding on student outcomes. Well, guess what? It's a great idea. Texas did it. You're a governor. You could have done it. You didn't do it. Um, another thing is there seems to be a lot of credit taking for results in Florida. Um, you have an incredible Republican Party in Florida that worked incredibly hard. Um, and the reason that Governor DeSantis is Governor DeSantis is because of a man named Donald Trump. And so I think that speaks volumes. Um, if you ever go to a rally in, say, Miami, holy moly, like the, the number of Hispanic voters that show up for Donald Trump and support him. Um, the amount of work that has been put to the state uh, by the Trump team is absolutely phenomenal. Now, no doubt, there's been some great policies out of Florida, um, and that's proven just by the sheer fact that you know thousands of Californians are fleeing to places like Texas and Tennessee and Florida. However, how much more money is going to be wasted on candidates that will never become the nominee when we have so much work ahead of us to save the country? That's the question I would like answered. Well, well put. And I think uh, Ron DeSantis has done a, a, a superb job as governor. And I, I'm also surprised at how he doesn't poll better than Nikki Haley in, in this race. I think he brings a lot more to the table than Nikki Haley. Um, you know, amongst the people that are on the stage there, I think he should be uh, really shining. But uh, he doesn't seem to be able to, to break out from the crowd. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I remember when he was doing his book tour, 
people were asking him then about his polling numbers. And he said, well, I'm not a candidate yet. Wait till I'm a candidate. And there was this expectation that his polling numbers were going to skyrocket. I think the big reason is that, um, obviously, like I said, they didn't. Donald Trump's influence in the Republican Party is significant, especially in mobilizing the conservative base. Um, Trump's backing of Governor DeSantis and his political ascent was significant um, and really important. And Republicans, especially Republican primary voters, they don't forget that. So I think voters are really nostalgic for the successes that we experienced under Trump, um, referred to as, you know, Trumponomics. It's very similar right now to a, a company rehiring a former CEO who steered them through really prosperous times. That familiarity, that proven track record, that's irresistible to voters. So, like I said, the Republican nominee is essentially predecided. Um, Trump will be rehired as CEO and will be driving this forward in the next year. Yeah, you know, uh, I think you're right about that. And I, I did a, um, a TV show this weekend on Newsmax, and one of the, the clips they had was of uh, Hispanic voters, mainly Hispanic and black voters, in the Bronx, New York. And, and it was a man-on-the-street type of interview, and every single person that they interviewed, every last one of them, was um, uh, for Trump. And it was pretty shocking. Um, guys in the control room, do we have that audio? So uh, we don't have the audio for you. I emailed it like six or seven hours ago, but um, maybe we'll have it next time. But ultimately, several voters, they, um, they just, they're asked uh, uh, impromptu on the street, what is going on? What do you think about the economy? What do you think about Joe Biden? And whether they're black or Hispanic, uh, they all say, oh, no, F Biden. Forget about that. We're not doing that. I, bring Trump back. And, and I, when I think it's so granular now, like it's down to, to everybody. And they all said the same thing. You know, we were all making money. Everybody was happier. One woman said, uh, I could spend hundreds of dollars on groceries and I don't barely get what I used to. And ultimately, it's a pocketbook issue. And people are, are, are very dissatisfied. And so when you brought up the um, the rallies in Florida and Miami and Hialeah and whatnot, uh, I could see that happening. I could see why there's so much support for Trump and those policies because things were really better. And right now, lamentably, um, we're in a situation where Biden's just done a miserable job. Now, Ashley, in, a, in about a minute or so uh, before we have to pause, let everybody know uh, about the work that you're doing at America's First uh, America First Works. Yeah, so America First Works, we are working to advance policies in the states. Um, you know, we believe that America First policies aren't just for a select few, they're for all Americans. They're for working people, Hispanic Americans, Black Americans, Catholics, Christians, every, everyone we talked about tonight. And so we are really focused on re reclaiming what was lost. It's about affirming our commitment to every American. It's about making sure that um, we put forward the policies that matter and empowering, giving power back to the American people, creating a culture of self-governance. Um, we just launched our pathway to 2025. A congressman, former Congressman Lee Zeldin is the chair of our pathway. We are looking for activists to get involved. And it's two ways. Number one, yes, we're going to knock doors and do phone calls um, to make sure everyone is asked the question, is your life better today than it was four years ago? And if it's not, what are you going to do about it? But also, we need to create a culture of keyboard warriors. We need to get the message out digitally. That's what the left does. It's time we yeah. it's time to step step up our game. So, AmericaFirstWorks.com. We'd love to have you know folks join us and work together to reclaim our country. Outstanding work that you're doing, uh, folks. Give them uh, 
um, a shout on social media and, of course, visit their website as well. It's AmericaFirstWorks.com. Ashley Hayek, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. You are a gentlewoman, a scholar, and a patriot. Well, thank you so much. I love joining you. You bet. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back, amigos. And uh, we go to the phones, 833-482-5537, 833-4-Valdez. Let's go to Taylor calling from Burlington, Vermont, WVMT. Taylor, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. So I just wanted to touch on Ron DeSantis and why his polling numbers aren't doing so well in comparison. Um, I just believe that all the supporters that were that would be for him are for Trump. And Trump is not willing to play the the political game of um, being censored and being uh, singled out on stage. They did the same thing to Ron Paul in 2012. I was a Ron Paul delegate in uh, 2012, and I did a documentary on Ron Paul being silenced by the media. Yeah, but help me understand here, Taylor. How, why are, uh, I don't see how DeSantis is going to have lower numbers if Trump isn't there. Well, I think he was having lower numbers because all of his supporters, his would-be supporters, are, are with Trump right now. Oh, so that would mean he doesn't have those supporters. So do you, do you think that Nikki Haley legitimately has more support in the Republican pace than Ron DeSantis? Um, like I said, I, I believe his supporters are with Trump, and Trump's outpolling um, Haley at this point. And um, they, uh, the people on stage uh, see that she's um, got more support, so they're going after her, and I, I just think it's... Uh, um, I think it's uh, I think the whole process is is uh, kind of a dog and pony show. When Ron Paul, they only gave him 90 seconds of speaking time uh, out of a yeah. two hour debate. So they, uh, gotcha. Well, Taylor, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. From Burlington, Vermont, WVMT. Uh, straight ahead, we continue our discussions this evening. We get into a bunch of interesting things. Uh, I want to talk about immigration, the open border, and so much more. Is Biden trying to create like a super highway for illegal immigrants from Guatemala to Texas? We're going to find out straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but 
Are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to our number two, uh, our phone number. If you want to join the conversation, our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to call 833-4825-337-8334, Valdez. And former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy has announced that he is resigning from Congress at the end of the year. Um, you also had yesterday his number two man, Patrick McHenry. He also said he was out and it was interesting that, uh, I mean, it's not that interesting, but, uh, I'm wondering where do they go? You know, where do they go? I'm sure they're going to get really cushy jobs, um, maybe in TV or elsewhere. Uh, but I'm curious to see, you know, McCarthy's not an old man. I'm sure he's got a lot of, uh, left in him, you know, like, uh, speaker Boehner, speaker Boehner ended up in the uh, marijuana industry uh, doing his thing after waiting a little while and becoming a big lobbyist there. Uh, so I'm guessing McCarthy does the same thing, and I'm wondering which is his special interest um, and if that's, in fact, where he goes. I'm not sure. You know, maybe he does something else. Uh, he's a very capable guy, so curious to see how that goes. Then we have um, the Republican debate continues. We'll get into a little more analysis on that uh, a little bit later. <clears throat> but there's a story that I wanted to bring to your attention. This is a doozy. Listen to this. 12,000 illegal migrants crossed the southern border in a single day yesterday. The highest total ever, according to uh, sources. This was a brand new record. Uh, there was over, let's see here, 12,000 people that crossed the border. Uh, this was information by uh, Customs and Border Patrol and uh, reported by Fox News. That is is a massive number. And I'm looking at some of the pictures here. I mean, this is not, uh, you know, some people knocking at the door. Hey, we're looking for asylum. This is a, a line of looks like thousands of people. Uh, what I'm seeing, everybody here, these are all um, in the photo that's in the article. They're all black men, probably between the age of, I don't know, let's say um, <clears throat> 18 to 25. And, uh, and there's a couple of um, looks like Hispanic men here. Uh, or Middle Eastern. And that's it. But this isn't what it used to be, right? You used to see a lot of women and children and whatnot. Uh, th this line, this convoy of people coming into the country has drastically changed. And I, I don't know, I'm not saying that uh, one is worse than the other. I'm just saying it's just 
fascinating when people start telling you they're putting armies in here, they're sleeper cells. They're, you know, it's easy to say, no, they're not when it's a woman with, you know, three little kids in tow. But when you look at this and you see people that are coming through the desert and they've got their faces covered and it, it just, it's really interesting. It's like, what is actually going on here? I know you cover your face in the desert, um, you know, like the, the Rio Grande there, but I don't know, just uh, this looks very, very fishy to me. So I want to speak with uh, Laura Reese. She's the Director of Border Security and Immigration at Heritage Foundation. Laura Reese, welcome. Thanks for having me on. You bet. So uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about this, uh, your thoughts on on this uh, big stat that's come out of uh, 12,000 people at the border crossing just yesterday. Yes, and this is on the heels of three days of uh, 10,000 illegal aliens encountered in a row, uh, which 10,000 was a new record. And, and now with 12,000, we've beat it. So uh, unfortunately, President Biden keeps racking up the records, but they're all bad, whether it's illegal alien encounters, whether it's terror watch list hits, whether it is search and rescues that Customs and Border Protection has to conduct at the border. Uh, whether it's Americans dying from drug overdose, um, you know, unaccompanied alien children, they're all new records. And uh, this isn't something the president should be proud of. And yet we're going on three years and he's not changing course. Now, I'm looking at this article um, uh, regarding um, a question, right? And the question is, does Biden want to open the borders all the way up to the southern part of Guatemala? Is this actually uh, something that they're considering? Well, this is this has already happened. Uh, this was an article that I co-wrote with a, a colleague, uh, where um, we've had some conversations with Guatemalan officials, and one colleague had a conversation with uh, President Giammatte of Guatemala himself, who said that he suggested, requested to the secretaries of Homeland Security and State Department here in the U.S. that uh, the U.S. government help Guatemala secure its southern border with El Salvador and Honduras. His point was, look, you, the U.S., you have a very large border with Mexico. I have a small southern border. Help me at least secure that one. And uh, the Biden administration said, well, we'll take it under advisement and then rejected it. Uh, and instead proposed spending hundreds of millions of dollars to put in mobile um, sites throughout Central America, including Guatemala, to basically process illegal immigration throughout Central America. So the Guatemalan officials concluded, look, clearly the Biden administration just wants to keep the Central American borders open as well to keep this all flowing. Now, this is uh, alarming, I I think. Uh, because, I mean, we always speculate whether this is to change the face of the electorate, to add new voters uh, to there's a million different reasons that people have uh, to smuggle more fentanyl, to do X, Y and Z, human trafficking. Uh, the, the list is so long. But what really would be, from your uh, estimation, the impetus to do something like this? Well, I, I think it's a number of things. One, it's, it's ideological. Uh, some are just globalists and don't believe that there should be borders. Some, I think, are weapon, have weaponized mass migration, um, not just in our hemisphere, but other parts of the world as well. Um, and they pay a lot of dollars into 
leftist organizations to carry it out. Uh, for some, it is political. They just view these um, populations as either future Democrat voters or um, numbers to count in the census to create uh, more congressional districts in blue states. Uh, and to alter the electoral college uh, with those same numbers that are counted in the census. Because right now under um, the census, it's not just about U.S. citizens uh, for apportionment. It is, everyone is counted. So that includes green card holders, it includes temporary visitors, and it includes illegal aliens. And yet only U.S. citizens can vote in federal elections. Uh, So there's a real mismatch there uh, on representation for U.S. citizens and, and American voters are diluted because of it. So it's about power. And ultimately, uh, this, this power, this uh, quest for power, thirst for power, is, is, in my opinion, destroying the fabric of our country. Uh, we're seeing some of our, our most resilient cities like New York City, uh, and that I could see the most. I'm in New York City all the time. Um, it's it's kind of busting apart at the seams. It, it cannot take on anymore. I was scrolling through my social media yesterday, and I saw my buddy Curtis Lewa. He had taken some video on the subway because he doesn't drive. He's always on the subway. And he was saying that the subways have become a de facto hotel for uh, migrant men that are just setting up shop, laying across the seats and sleeping and living on the trains. Um at what point does this become detrimental to their thirst for power? And uh, they realize, wow, we might alienate our base of support if we continue to put them in harm's way. Happening in pockets, uh, particularly the sanctuary cities where uh, masses are resettling, like New York City and like Chicago, particularly the south side of Chicago. We've actually seen organic protests. Uh, from residents there saying, stop destroying our city, stop taking our um, our housing, our jobs, our schools, our rec centers from our kids. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of populations in the U.S. have not confronted this. And so they still view this as a Texas problem. It's not a problem for them. Um, and yeah. until people um, encounter this personally, um, they just go about their lives when, you know, New Yorkers face it every day in walking down the street, downtown, trying to ride the train um, in their schools, et cetera. Right. So um, it's, it's affecting a lot of Americans. The drugs are certainly coming everywhere. The crime is yeah. coming everywhere. The costs are coming everywhere. But well, you have some of members people. of Congress that are, continue to advocate for this stuff, right? Like uh, Congressman Dan Goldman. Um, yesterday, he, he mentioned uh, he blamed the Second Amendment, of all things. Uh, but he blamed drug cartels and guns for the fact that there's more and more drugs pouring across that you just alluded to. Um, if you ha- I want you to listen to just a, a, a short clip of, of that hearing. Listen to this. Now, Mr. Blakeman, you've discussed, as, as several of you have, um, the the scourge of the fentanyl trade that is going on in our country. And I agree with you. Uh, It is really bad. Um, And we've had testimony from actual experts on this over the course of the last year who have made it very clear that the Mexican drug cartels are the ones who 
control the fentanyl trade at the border. And unfortunately, the Mexican drug cartels have that authority because they possess guns and weapons of war. But unfortunately, those weapons of war come from American manufacturers, not from Mexico or elsewhere. I have introduced a bill called the Disarming Cartels Act, which is designed to curb the exportation of weapons manufactured by American companies to the drug cartels, which fuels the fentanyl trade operation. There's not yet one Republican co-sponsor. So they want to mask gun control as a war on fentanyl. Uh, and it's just crazy to me that they won't address this problem, Laura Reese. Yeah, he's grasping at straws and, and reaching for, you know, his, his tried and true boogeyman of, of guns. Um, securing the border would end much of the cartel's business, both the drug trade as well as um, human trafficking. Uh, but the Democrats are simply unwilling to do that. Um, and, you know, going after China, too, the, the precursor drugs come from China, then they're going uh, sent to Mexico where they're um, processed and then brought over the border into the U.S. But uh, he realizes fentanyl is a problem, but um, his target is misguided. Right. Now, uh, we also have Senator Dick Durbin. Uh, who says that undocumented immigrants should be allowed to serve in the military. We're going to listen to that on the way back. Folks, we're on with Laura Rees from the uh, Center for Immigration at Heritage Foundation, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. What troubles me about the debate now about the southern border is it is one half of the immigration equation. Yes, we need order at the border. Yes, we need to have changes in the laws that reflect the reality of the overwhelming numbers from all over the world who are coming to our our shores and our border. But there is also an incredible demand for legal immigration into this country even now. The presiding officer, my colleague from the state of Illinois, has legislation which addresses one aspect of that. Her bill, and I hope I describe it accurately, says that if you are an undocumented person in this country and you can pass the physical and the required test, background test, the like, you can serve in our military, and if you do it honorably, we will make you citizens of the United States. Do we need that? Do you know what the recruiting numbers are at the Army and the Navy and the Air Force? They can't reach their quotas each month. They can't find enough people to join our military forces. And there are those who are undocumented who want the chance to serve and risk their lives for this country. Should we give them the chance? I think we should. 
that Senator Dick Durbin on the floor of the, the Senate yesterday uh, with his uh, story about undocu- undocumented immigrants should be allowed to serve in the military and given citizenship afterwards. Uh, obviously, I think that's a mistake, and it's crazy talk. Our guest, Laura Reese from the Heritage Foundation, is with us. Laura Reese, what say you? It's pretty galling for him to say that, as, as if being in the military is another job Americans won't do, as the left likes to say. <laughs> right. um, you know, this after the, the terrible withdrawal from Afghanistan and our military members needlessly being killed there in the fall of Kabul after the left forced COVID vaccinations on the military uh, or they had to be uh, removed from the military. The wokeism that the left has injected into the military, he really should look in the mirror when it, when trying to figure out why recruitment is down for the military. Uh, what it's really about is a fast track to citizenship because our immigration laws allow green card holders who are in the military to apply for naturalization faster than non-service members. And so, yet again, this is about power uh, and trying to get more immigrants to become citizens to vote. Now, Laura Reese, let everybody know how they could keep up to speed with uh, the wonderful work that you're doing at Heritage and how they could find you on social media. So they can uh, find my work at uh, heritage.org slash immigration and on Twitter or X, I'm at L-O-R-A underscore R-I-E-S. Outstanding. Well, thank you for, uh, obviously, the, uh, the excellent commentary and for the continued work that you do. We appreciate it. You are a gentlewoman, a scholar, and a patriot. I wish you a good night. Thank you very much, Rich. You're welcome. Thanks, Laura. Now, folks, we're going to continue with uh, your calls and more straight ahead. We're going to also uh, add a little bit of um, discussion on the Girl Scouts. Apparently, um, the Girl Scouts, my kids, you know, mom, were Girl Scouts, uh, the younger one for a little longer than the, than the older one. Um, but apparently they've, um, they've lost their way. And we're going to find out a little bit more about that straight ahead because it's concerning, right? It's very concerning about... Um, the Girl Scouts engaging in something called Foundations and Racial Equity. And and I think this is really problematic. And we might be behind the eight ball here where, you know, you, you tell somebody, why do you think that's problematic, Rich? Talking about racism, why would that be bad? Well, if that were simply the case, that wouldn't be what, what's going on. Uh, to me, it seems like there's a lot more than that going on. Uh, it appears to me that there's... Uh, and it, it, This discussion of critical race theory is not ever a discussion about race per se. Um, It's a discussion about how whites are oppressors. I don't happen to be white. I happen to be, by the left standards, brown, right? But ultimately, I wouldn't support anybody saying blacks are oppressors, whites are oppressors, Hispanics are oppressors, Asians are oppressors. I don't believe that you're an oppressor simply because of your race. And my views on this um, country that we live in bunch of white guys from England who defected, right, and, and, and fought the king, started this thing. My dad didn't get here until 1955. So listen, uh, I, I have a different view on this, but we're going to get into that straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. America. 
America at Night with Rich Valdez. So, you know, growing up, my brothers and I, we were Boy Scouts. And uh, my brothers, um, you know, the older they were, the better they were at scouting. Uh, the younger me, <laughs> um, not so good. You know, like these guys, they, they carried that little clear compass in their pocket. I was like, how cool. And I would use it to draw straight lines. You know, it, it was just it just wasn't my thing. I was that kid. And and until today, you know, if it's raining and I'm hanging out with my bros, they'll be like, hey, go chop a log. And I'll, I will, you know. I will go to town with that axe and, and do no type of damage on a log. <laughs> and he'll be like, no, you got to hit it like this. You got to hit it. You know, boom, right there. Split it right down the middle. You know, they're just way more outdoorsy than I am. And uh, my brother can start a fire in, in the uh, in the rain in, in seconds. He's really good at it. Uh, me, not so much. That's what hotels are for, right? But um, my kids also were Girl Scouts. The older one, maybe for like five minutes. And then uh, the little one, she did it for a couple of years. She liked it. I didn't get past Cub Scouts. I, I dropped out as a kid and did other things. Uh, but she, she stuck with it for a while. And what's more American than being a Girl Scout or a Boy Scout? It's like apple pie, right? Well, apparently not, or at least not anymore. Uh, a former Girl Scouts of America, Girl Scouts USA executive, Patty Garibay, um, she spent a dozen years there. And she eventually left and founded her own organization. And now it's the largest uh, Christian faith-based scouting organization in the world with over 60,000 members and actively growing. And I want to welcome her to the program to tell us about um, this move and, and mainly about what's going on with the introduction of foundations of racial equity in the Girl Scouts. Patty Garibay, welcome. It's good to be with you, Rich. I hope you're having a great night. I am. Thank God. I'm with you, and we have a wonderful audience, and what more can I ask for, right? So That's tell right. us, um, amen to that. Tell us a little bit about <laughs> um, what, did something happen uh, where you said, you know what, I'm leaving the Girl Scouts, or was it just, you know, it was time for you to move on and you decided to start your own type of thing? What what would that look like for you? Well, it certainly wasn't something I planned to do, but I felt like it was something I was being called to do. And um, at the time, I had been leading three Girl Scout troops for my three different daughters, and I was also a delegate, and so I was very, very involved in the Girl Scouts at the local level. And I started to see some changes, and the primary one that really affected me was in 1993 when they made this announcement over the evening news that the Girl Scout promise was no longer going to include the word God. And as a Christian mom and who had served the Girl Scouts well and whose mom was my leader and I knew about Julia Gordon-Lowe, the foundress, and her daily Bible reading, I thought, what is going on with a Girl Scouting and character development program no longer being based on God? What is what's going on? So I started right. to dig in. You, you think I might know because I was so involved, but you know, it really wasn't that evident to understand what was going on behind the scenes. And what I discovered was really alarming. And so what I did, Rich, instead of cursing the darkness, I thought, let's just sort of light a candle on this issue. Let's raise mm -hmm. awareness. Maybe more moms and dads will come around us and say, stop, Girl Scouts. This is a big mistake kicking God out. That's not, you don't mess with God. You know what I'm saying? Right. And uh, here they were going, they were going in, in, into this trajectory. And I realized after about two years of fighting the good fight that it was 
was to no avail that this thing had gotten sour all the way back in the 70s when Betty Friedan had been on their board of trustees, their board of directors, and they continued to honor women like Gloria Steinem and Hillary Clinton and all the progressives that you could imagine. And it had just gotten so, so stinking bad that um, I just had to had to stop. And I just thought I'd start a little club for my daughter my third daughter to get her through the formative years. And Rich, here we are 28 years later. It's, it's crazy, but that's why we're here. I think for a time such as this. And that group that you started was American heritage girls, the website, American heritage org. And, you know, Patty, when I was a kid um, and just, you know, from my own observation, every single boy scout troop was at a church. Um, so, you know, when you were asked, you know, what, what troop you were with, um, most people were like, oh, I'm at St. Brendan's or, oh, I'm at Holy Innocence or, you know, whatever. That was the girls' school. Uh, but it, it was everybody was out of a church. There there was no Boy Scout troop or Girl Scout troop that wasn't in, in my time. You know, uh, this is the uh, early 80s in New York City. Um, and in here in uh, New Jersey, um, where, my, where my kids grew up, it um, it was out of the, uh, I think it was out of the Knights of Columbus, uh, the, the Girl Scouts, or at least m- most of their events were there. So uh, or at the school. So the um, it's just interesting to hear what you're saying that, you know, they 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 made this move and it's coming from the 70s. So fast forward Mm -hmm. to today. Right. And now we Mm -hmm. have them saying that um, starting uh, next week, the Girl Scouts of uh, America, GS USA, is going to launch their new four part racial equity training foundations in racial equity. Now, I typically I would support anybody learning more about cultural competency and things like that. But uh, lamentably, when I look at these things, it's usually not some sort of cursory um, education on why, you know, racism is bad. It's typically more like a, a lesson in Marxism. And that's not something I think anybody wants to get their kid involved in. So I want to get your take on that when we come back from our break. And I want to invite our callers to dial in if they're interested in joining this part of the conversation. Uh, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Sound the alarm. The Girl Scouts USA has gone full woke. Now, Girl Scouts USA has taken a new approach to uh, introducing radical Marxist training programs for kids. Uh, The organization set to provide a four-part radical uh, racial equity training series based on Marxism to volunteers and for parents. And we're going to learn more about the training and how it talks about internalized racism and white supremacy culture with our guest, Patty Garibay. 
Patty Garibay is uh, the uh, founder of American Heritage Girls. She used to work as an executive for a dozen years with Girl Scouts USA, but she left to start her own organization. Patty Garibay, welcome back. Tell us what is going on with this uh, infusion of wokeism and racial equity that's going on at the Girl Scouts. Well, you know, I think it's really stemming from, first of all, their agenda. They've always had this kind of a lean, but most recently they received an $84.5 million donation from Mackenzie Scott, who is Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, who really wants to make a change in this country for the progressives, and she believes she can do that through the Girl Scouts. That's the largest individual donation the Girl Scouts have ever received. And in addition to that, the Ford Foundation just a few months ago gave another $500,000 for this very initiative of DEI in the Girl Scouts. And so they're really encouraging girls and their parents and, of course, the volunteers to all be immersed in this indoctrination. A matter of fact, in the Cleveland area, they have a social justice seeker challenge for Girl Scouts as young as age five, where they partner with the YWCA. These are always the usual suspects, aren't they? That they will be engaging into sensitive topics, which actually require parental permission slip and a warning on this parental permission slip about this social justice secret thing says, make sure that your daughter has an open heart and an open mind, or she will be extremely uncomfortable. That sounds like something a five-year-old should participate in for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's uh, absolutely horrible. And um, let's talk about uh, you know, and, and as much as you know about the uh, internalized racism and white supremacy culture. Well, you know, they, they hired a group called the Paradigm Group, and they're out of North Carolina. And they say that participants in these DEI racial equity workshops, which is what they're mandating the, the volunteers of Girl Scouts to do now, will interrogate structural racism and its historical construction while reflecting greatly on the way it manifests in our individual experiences, our organizational dynamics, and systemic outcomes. This is wackadoodle. I mean, really, what, yeah. is, what is the purpose of this in Girl Scouts? Where is the love of country? Where is the love of God? All these things are kicked to the curb. This is not your grandmother's Girl Scouts any longer. It, it, this is really a, a, a horrible thing. I, honestly, really, really horrible thing. Because um, it, it just, it's like every institution that I can think of. You know, I try to be very positive here. But uh, every time I look at something, it's one more thing that the radical left has uh, introduced Marxism into and really, I'm going to say destroyed, but I guess they would say changed. And I think that's a big part mm -hmm. of this discussion is that they feel that they're bringing about a positive change, at least a good majority of them. And then a small ma uh, minority of them think, all right, we're doing what we want to get the power that we're, we're, we're looking for. And I just don't see how we um, do, how we expect a change or how we get a change unless people actually make this change happen, like moms, like you, the people at the Girl Scouts that say, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm going to go to your competitor. I'm going to become your competitor. We're, we're not going to accept it. Or for parents to say, you know what, I'm not doing it, I'm not interested. Uh, what Do you think that's what it's going to take, or do you have uh, a, another plan of attack to kind of f push back on the culture? 
Well, there definitely needs to be an awareness brought up. You know, too often we trust our traditional groups, our traditional organizations that have been around. You know, like you had mentioned earlier, you are a Boy Scout, albeit not a great one. You admitted that. I loved your humility around that, by the way, Rich. (laughs) (laughs) But nonetheless, we can't trust any organization anymore, especially when it comes to kids, that it's like it was created for. They've all been targeted by the left for indoctrination and because they know and this is part of the Marxist manifesto, right? Is to say, this is what we need to do is to influence the youth. So the next generation will be the change agents. And, and there is no question about what the Girl Scouts are up to. They're spending more money in lobbying and DEI and change management and making changes in this country than they are about instilling moral character in girls or teaching them life skills or being in the out of doors or, you know, being good citizens and honoring their country. All of that's been thrown out. It's just become this big lobbying agency and it's, it's a multi-million dollar effort. And then next month, guess what? You get to buy cookies to support it. Right. And, and, and they had a whole controversy on cookies as well. That stuff is crazy. Uh, Patty um, Garibay, stand by. We're going to come right back with you to wrap this up, learn a little bit more about American Heritage Girls. Folks, we're on with uh, Patty Garibay, me, Rich Valdez, coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with the founder of American Heritage Girls, uh, Patty Garibay. She was a, a an executive with Girl Scouts of America, Girl Scouts USA, for a dozen years. And she left and founded American Heritage Girls. It's now the largest uh, Christian faith-based scouting organization with over 60,000 members and uh, continuously growing. Uh, Patty, let's uh, talk about what you guys do in your group. What are you offering for the people that are saying, you know what, I'm done with the Girl Scouts, raising prices on cookies and going woke and teaching about white supremacy. And um, we're here and tell us what you're doing. Well, you know, if you're looking for a, a group for your girls to really belong to, to build friendships, to create memories, to be able to understand a framework for adulting, uh, to make them successful as as adults and to be able to be independent, but yet not girl powered, but rather the power of Christ through the girl. That's what American Heritage Girls is all about. We we encourage the girls to understand love of God, love of family, love of of country, love of their community and serving their community. It's pretty much the apple pie stuff you've talked about earlier in your very first session here is that that's what American 
American Heritage Girls is all about. We partner with the church. Um, and so, yes, you will find these troops in churches, in homeschool settings where they can say, yes, we want to come over and help these girls. And we, we want to raise up uh, the, a generation that can really understand that faith is important, leadership is important, social emotional health, outdoor skills citizenship, and of course, earning badges and goal setting, all of those are important. So think of the best things that you thought of scouts when you were young or when it was not woke. That's what American Heritage Girls is. And also it's Christ centered. So that's that solid rock, that mission drift that occurred with the other scout organizations are not going to happen with American Heritage Girls because of its basis is a solid rock of Jesus Christ. And so it is a lot of fun. Our tagline is faith, service, and fun. We serve biological girls. I have to say that. I have to clarify since the other groups take, you know, all kinds of kids. Biological girls ages 5 to 18, and we are having a ball doing this. And I'll tell you, the volunteers that come alongside these girls are just amazing people that really want to influence the next gen- next generation to really influence the trajectory of our country. This is important stuff and important work. Oh, Patty, I, um, I I love what you're doing. Um, my girls um, did actually, uh, through our, our church, we were part of a group called the Missionettes, and uh, it was a very similar type of program. It was great for them. They loved it. And um, I, I can tell you firsthand, it was wonderful for them, and I'm sure um, you guys are, are meeting uh, a similar kind of need that's out there for people that are looking for a character development in their kids. And um, let everybody know the website and how they could uh, you know follow you on social media. Absolutely. Visit our website at AmericanHeritageGirls.org. And when you go to that website, you can check out the red button that says find a troop in your area. There are troops in all across the United States and even in 16 international countries. And also how to start a troop if you'd like to create a legacy um, in your community, one that will really serve girls and help them to grow up in the way they should go. You can find out how to start a troop. And also when you go onto that website, we've got some free ebooks that are helping parents all across the country raise up their girl. One's about fear and anxiety and one's about gender and identity, another about a biblical worldview, and then our most recent that just came out two weeks ago is how to talk to your daughters about peace during times of war and conflict. So we're a very relevant organization that is dealing with the tough issues, but teaching them through the biblical worldview lens. Outstanding. Well, Patty, I want to thank you for being here. It sounds like you're doing amazing work. You are a gentlewoman, a scholar, and a patriot. Godspeed to you, ma'am. Thank you so much, Rich. It's a pleasure to be with you. You bet. Have a great holiday. Merry Christmas. Folks, we're going to continue with your calls straight ahead. Open Phone America is coming right up. Uh, Time-honored tradition here on this program. Way back when Larry King was the host of this show, back, uh, he started in 1978. That happens to be the year I was born. And 45 years ago, he started something called Open Phone America, and we're going to do open phones with you guys tonight. And, of course, that was continued by the late, great Jimbo Hannon for three decades. So I'm looking forward to continuing that tradition tonight with you and your calls and whatever you guys want to talk about. And um, we always talk about what we talked about on the show, uh, a little bit of a recap, your thoughts on everything we've talked about since the first hour of the program. If you're listening to us on a uh, delay or if you're, um, the market that you're in carries us a little bit later, uh, you're still welcome to give us a call. 833-482-5337 is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. And, of course, I always want to uh, plug and uh, and thank you. 
a number of people have left reviews on your on your through your podcast app for the podcast of this program, uh, Rich Valdez, America at Night. And I think we have a 4.6 star rating out of five. So I'm grateful to you guys for the, your uh, generous uh, five-star reviews. Thank you so much. Um, as well as for This Is America with Rich Valdez, my shorter personal podcast. Um, I thank you for subscribing to those and for listening. And if you ever want to check them out, just go to the website, Rich Valdez America at night.com. Don't go anywhere. Coming right back. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. It's hour number three. Our phone number, if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, pull up a chair, kick up your feet, give us a call, 833-482-5337. Now, listen, if you're on the road, a uh, cop, a trucker, ambulance driver, anybody that's out on the road, cabbie, uh, Uber, Lyft, rideshare, uh, do not kick up your feet, okay? <laughs> keep your hands on the wheel. Keep the radio nice and loud so the passengers can hear it and be annoyed by the sound of my voice. But I do want you to participate in the program because this is your show. I'm just kind of like facilitating here. Uh, 833-482-5337 is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, a bunch of things we're going to get into tonight. We've had some discussion tonight on the Girl Scouts uh, going woke, introducing the concepts of white supremacy and... Uh, what was the other term they got here? Hold on, bear with me. This is some interesting stuff. Um, white supremacy and in, internalized, uh, I think that, that's what it was, internalized racism. How about that? So, uh, and again, I'm not saying that's not a thing. Uh, it, it might be a thing. And it's good to, to teach your kids uh, to not be hateful, 100%. Um, but I think when you're talking about white supremacy culture, um, this is not something that I see, uh, in the world today, but again, who, who made me the end all be all of everything, right? A couple of weeks ago, I was, um, I had a lunch with my lawyer who is a, a leftist and an old friend of mine from college. I shouldn't say a leftist, but she's definitely a progressive left leaning person, uh, has many conservative, uh, attributes as well, but, but not like politically conservative, just, you know, conservative in, in many ways. Um, you know, like family and things like that. But again, very liberal as well and progressive. And, you know, she was making the case that we very much are living it today in a world that's oppressed by um, that where white people are our oppressors. And I was saying, well, how is that? I mean, you're you're a, you're a big lawyer. Um, you know, uh, you're of Cuban descent, um, dark skin, curly hair, and you're in courtrooms with, you know, with with the rest of them. And, and her response to me was, 
yeah, I'm in there with a bunch of white judges. And there are times where I enter and approach the, um, you know, the, the, the table for the lawyers and, um, and they'll ask me, excuse me, ma'am, that's only for attorneys. And she says, I'm wearing a business suit. I've practiced, uh, you know, I've, I've appeared before these judges before. She said, you know, some of them are just jerks and others are, are really just not used to seeing someone that looks like me be a, uh, uh, an attorney. And, and listen, I, I had not, I didn't have a ton I could say, you know, I wasn't going to defend the guy for being a jerk. Uh, I said, well, some people are jerks. What do you want me to say? Uh, and the reality is, you know, she does go through those things. Uh, I, I've, I guess I've been through things like that as well. There's times where I talk to people and they're like, oh, so what do you do? I'm like, oh, you know, I work in radio and uh, it's really cool. And they're like, oh, what type of show? And I tell me it's, it's, it's a talk show. We talk about, you know, everything that's going on, current events, uh, popular culture, uh, society at large, um, all sorts of things, the news of the day, the big headlines. And, you know, and every now and again, they'll say, that's cool. You know, that's good. So they'll mention something like I had a friend that, you know, used to run the board and whatever. And I was like, yeah, I've never actually ran a board. Uh, I did work as a producer for a while. And they're like, oh, what do you do now? And I go, well, I'm, I host a show. I'm a broadcaster. And and, and you got to see the look on their face. They're like, wow, really? This little bald Puerto Rican dude with a beard? Um, and, it, and that's my presumption. Uh, maybe it's something else that throws them off. Uh, maybe it's not my amazing uh, pipes. You know, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm, I'm kidding, by the way. But, um, uh, yeah, I get that, um, you know, more often than I, I would expect to, where people are just like, oh, get out of here. You know, if I tell them it's a big show, it's a big show. Uh, you know, we're on 305 stations. And, um, you know, our cumulative listening audience is, you know, north of 5 million, just under 6 million. And, and, and they're like, oh, wow, really? Yeah, and it's just people are shocked. And um, I don't know if that's a slight on me or just the fact that they're very surprised or maybe they've never heard of the show, but it's radio. If you're not a radio listener, you may not have heard of the show. But I, again, I still, I go through those things. That's legitimate to me. And I think the people that are uh, having those conversations with me, I choose to be, um, to be humble and kind. And there's times where I don't, you know, I could be a jerk. Uh, it's very easy for me to be a jerk. It's my, it's my preferred speed. <laughs> but uh, my, my point is, I realize that that's a thing. And I, I would never say that I feel oppressed by white people. Uh, I, I look at it the exact opposite way. I'd say, you know what? The majority of my colleagues, uh, when you look at talk radio and that, let's say, you know, this year I had the honor, it was a phenomenal distinction of being um, um, named to this list, uh, the, the 100 most important radio hosts in America by Talkers Magazine. And um, humbled by it, honored by it. Uh, but when you look at that list, I don't think there was another Hispanic person on there. Um, I, I don't. I don't put that moniker on my website or on my Twitter or anything like that. But I say it to say, if if the majority of my colleagues are white, do I see them as oppressors because there aren't many people that are brown? Well, no, I don't think so. I think there's not a lot of people that are 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 Hispanic or of uh, Americans of Hispanic uh, descent like I am that want to be in radio. That's just my contention because I know a bunch of guys that are my age that I grew up with and none of them want to be in radio. They have other goals, other aspirations. So it's, that's always been my thought on, on, on a situation like that. But yet here we have the Girl Scouts, the Girl Scouts teaching about internalized racism and white supremacy culture. Now, listen, I think if you're going to teach about being kind, that's good. Tell your kids never to be hateful. Always be kind. That's a great thing. But when you get so specific with it to say that there are people that have internalized racism uh, or systemic racism 
or like my friend was telling me, you know, but a straight face that she feels oppressed by the whites in the legal system or even when she was in college. Uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm not saying that she's making it up. I think it's legitimate that, that she, she felt a certain way in these conversations. I just don't think she, she went to law school on a scholarship and it wasn't because she was broke. Her parents owned a home and they made good money. It was an academic scholarship. Um, but that was another point that she brought up. She said, you know, I went to, I, I, I finished law school on a scholarship and people always thought it was because I was poor or because I was Hispanic not because it was a merit-based academic scholarship and I had the brains to do it. She said, why do you think that is? Because they automatically presumed that because I was brown and have, you know, uh, uh, very tight-knit curls and, and I wear my hair natural, that somehow I am not as capable of being as intelligent as a white counterpart. And I'm not going to argue with her. I'm pretty sure they did. I'm pretty sure there were people that are like, oh, there's, you know, Joe Biden says it all the time, right? No, the black kid, the poor kids are just as, as smart as the white kids. Right? He said that. So clearly there are people that believe that. But I, I still don't see it as oppression. I just see it as there's people out there that are jerks and uh, they're, they're going to slight you and, and they're not going to view you the way you view yourself. But it's not my job to worry about how so-and-so views me. It's my job to do my job well and let the results speak for themselves. And that's just how I've always conducted my life. So I realize that there's a racial element to life, but I don't feel oppressed by it. If anything, I feel motivated by it. Anyway, uh, we're going to get to your calls. Um, in, in uh, Let's see. Well, we could do it right now. We can at least go to one before we do the, the break here. Let's go to Kim in Shields, Michigan, W-I-L-S. Kim, welcome. What are your thoughts? Well, first, let me ask you, were you a Girl Scout? Yeah, that was my second topic um, I wanted to talk about. My my sister and I were in Girl Scouts almost all the way through school, and our troop was active. We did a lot. We went to, like, dude ranches. We sold the peanut brittle, the cookies, the calendars. We we went to different – we did a lot of tra- – we not, went on canoe trips. And on top of that, my sister and I went to Girl Scout camp for seven years in a row. Um, so this is really disheartening for me. Um, to hear uh, what they're doing to the Girl Scouts. Um, it, it, it all started, I think, with the Boy Scouts when they wanted to force girls into the Boy Scouts. And now it's just all this more bizarre stuff with, that's happened since Biden's been in. But I am, I do have a glimmer of hope that what your guest said, this American Heritage Girls, which is like going to be like Girl Scouts probably used to be, you know, um, that gives me a glimmer of hope. You know, I hadn't heard about them. And uh, the other thing I wanted to talk to right. you about is yep. your guest. Well, before you there. move on to that, I wanted to ask you, did they ever teach you about uh, racism when you were in the Girl Scouts? Oh, oh no. We, we built campfires and pitched tents and hiked and swam. You know, and all kinds of, uh, we did a bike trip one time for like 25 miles over a weekend. You know, it was all outdoor stuff. All the things your guest was listing. She was saying it's about God and country and learning how to sustain yourself and do things you didn't know how to do. And of course, you earn the badges and all that stuff, you know. 
But, um, yeah, it's the way Girl Scouts used to be, not this cookie stuff they got going on. And just don't buy their cookies. If they're going to be some commie thing, don't buy their junk when they try to sell it, you know, because they're just poisoning the young girls. Um, All right, I'll take that. Now, tell me about your, your thoughts on the other topic. Yeah, your your other guest um, from Heritage um, was saying that Dick Durbin wants to see uh, a, a number of these illegals that have come across the border. You say go into the service, and then they can get their citizenship that much quicker. Well, there's a big problem with that. On my shows, um, somebody's telling these tens of millions of illegals that Biden's let in in three years. Somebody's telling them, and I don't know if it's the NGOs, the coyotes, or the cartel members, but they're telling them to dump their ID, their papers, any identifying information they have on the Mexican side of the river. They went over there with their cameras and showed it on a couple of my shows. They said, see, for some reason, they're all dumping their IDs. And I don't know if that's to... Uh, to hasten them getting set packing, you know, or what, you know, back to their homeland. I, I don't know what the reason, but they've all dumped their IDs. I don't know that there's a single one of them that retain their IDs. And so how would we put somebody like that in the military when we don't know who, say, eight or 10 million of these people are? We They have no ID, you know? You know, Kim, a couple of years back, several years back, There was a move, you know, you have to think like a Democrat, right? Think like a progressive Marxist. So when you you realize, like they ultimately realize that the money isn't theirs, right? They might have appropriations committee and they might have, uh, they can design how it's going to be spent and determine how much, but it's not their money, right? They can't literally give it away to everybody. So they have to get creative and Barack Obama had a plan some years ago. He knew that there was a way that he could help people to become transgender. He didn't know how to pull it off, and they they couldn't figure out how do we subsidize this. Let's do Obamacare, but they gave him a hard way to go with Obamacare. Took him longer than expected, and eventually, you know, lost the uh, the um, the 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 mandate and the doctor and this and all that stuff that went down. So, what did he do? Well, he decided we're going to allow the military to pay for this through TRICARE. You could come into the military. You won't really have to serve. You just say that you're having um, you know, a mental issue, get in, and uh, we'll say that you need to transition. You will transition, and uh, the military will pay for it because it'll be a necessary thing. And a bunch of people started joining the military just to transition to get their taxpayer-funded sex change. And, and, and that's what that was. So now I fast forward to now and voila, we've got the same thing. You got, you know, the the audio we heard earlier of Dick Durbin, he says, well, you know, we should, this is another way to give them a salary. Well, if you come here and how do we take care of all these people? Can't put everybody on welfare. We got to, you know, do some creative financing somewhere. And it's not like they're all coming here to be on welfare, right? Uh, The truth is many people come to this country to work Um, by and large, they come to work. You know, when I see the largest groups of, of folks that I'm going to presume are illegal aliens just because of the way they're dressed and the way um, and where they're hanging out in the parking lot of a big box home improvement store, um, I'm going to guess that, that these are migrant day laborers looking for work. And that's what they're doing. They're looking for work. 
you know, if a thousand people are coming across from from I don't know uh, Guatemala, um, I'm I don't think a thousand people are terrorist cell people or smugglers and traffickers and carrying fentanyl. Uh, I'd say the majority of them are trying to work because I see them here trying to work uh, when you pass by one of these stores. Now, it doesn't mean that, that there are not amongst them others. And we've talked about those videos and photos that we've seen. But my, my point here is that this is just another way for Dick Durbin and the Democrats to say, you know what, we're going to put these people, we're going to put them in the military. That's what we'll do. We've already wokeified the military. Now we'll diversify the military. We'll add people from different places across the world. We'll have the most eclectic military ever. And we will, for once and for all, get rid of this white supremacist culture that permeates this, this I, I will die and cry for my flag. I will stand every time there's a pledge of allegiance. This love uh, for this God-forsaken country, they'll put an end to it once and for all. And, and there are people that genuinely hate America and that they hate what we stand for because truly what America stands for, liberty, uh, the, the idea that there are people in this country that love God, that will put their faith uh, in God above everything else, that doesn't exist in so many other countries where there are no televisions, there's very little internet, there's not a lot of access to new ideas. You know, just think about the people in North Korea. Think about the people in Cuba before uh, Obama got them some internet. You know, just think about all these people, and that's real oppression. So ultimately, that's where I think it ends up. I think that's why they're letting them into the military. Uh, that, and of course, they want more control over the military, but it's another way to pay them. It's another job they can give out. Kim, thank you for your call. We continue with the rest of your calls straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. By the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations, everybody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, <laughs> even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. But you're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. The immigration system has been broken for decades, and our Department of Homeland Security has been underfunded for years and years. And President Biden uh, has addressed both issues uh, with strength from day one. On the first day of his administration, he presented Congress with legislation to fix our immigration system. And we have submitted to Congress a supplemental funding bill that will resource our department, the heroic Border Patrol agents uh, that you displayed just a few minutes ago, mm -hmm. uh, to fund them as they need to address what is an unprecedented level of migration, not only at our southern border, mm -hmm. not only in the Western Hemisphere, but throughout the world. Again, that's Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, the one that's currently making a dollar and and uh, he keeps getting uh, pseudo impeached. Right. And they keep uh, pulling it off the table. 
Uh, we'll see what happens with that. But he says that Biden has addressed the immigration issue with strength from day one. Is that what you think? Strength from day one. To me, it sounds like they're trying to open up a, a super highway of illegal aliens from Texas straight to Guatemala. Uh, I think that's crazy. Let's go to Edward calling from Tampa, Florida, WWTK. Edward, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Yeah, Rich. I uh, wanted to bring with this up because uh, I think there's something that's going to need some attention. Uh, Venezuela is thinking about moving on its neighbor. Um, I didn't want to try and pronounce it, but it's the uh, one with uh, Jim Jones. He's to uh, have the oh, uh, party. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, obviously we're getting a lot of legals from there. Uh, and his bullet might even have a foothold there. What do you think are the chances of us doing some kind of minor uh, operation? I know John Bolton thought about uh, sending 5,000. Remember that? Notepad, yeah, I uh, think the chances are zero. And I'll tell you why. The easiest thing, we talked about this earlier with Laura Reese, and she made an excellent point. And it's the point I think we're all making. Uh, if you want to stem fentanyl, if you want to stop human trafficking, if you want to make America safer, if you want to protect jobs for the uh, people that are currently in the country, what you do is you secure the border. You threaten the cartel. You threaten the governments that are, uh, you know, to, to where they have to step up to the cartel. We don't need to go and defend Guyana. We don't need to go and do anything anywhere as long as we shut down our border, everything. They, they, Hezbollah has no need to be in Guyana if they know that we have a very secure southern border. It makes it harder for them to just waltz right in. But now... It's easy. So it makes all the sense in the world. Let's set up shop here. Let's train people here. Maybe we could radicalize a few of the locals since, you know, uh, it's it's a different uh, bunch here. And uh, let's go for it. I don't think we need to be there. I think we need to be here and at our border. And lamentably, this is not happening. Joe Biden's just letting everybody in. It's an absolute free for all. Edward. Thank you, Rich. Okay. Yeah. You bet. My pleasure. And great to hear from you, man. Thanks for the call from Tampa, Florida. I'll be in Florida this weekend going to Palm Beach and uh, love me some palm trees. Let us continue with our calls. Let's go to Nick. Nick is calling us from WGN area, Chicago. Nick, go right ahead. Yeah, thank you very much. You have a nice show. You always do. Uh, and I just thank want to you. remind people in Chicago that uh, your rebroadcast, which will be coming up later here, is a fresh show. It's not from the morning world. In today's world, a lot can happen from the morning show rebroadcast. Oh, yeah. But yours is a, a rebroadcast very soon after you finish on the East Coast. So um, I was going to say, regarding the uh, uh, the immigrants, uh, let's get on that. And uh, uh, the, these, or whatever you want to call them, I'll just call them migrants because there's all kinds of ways we can talk about sure. their, right their uh, uh, description. But uh, these people are here for a reason. Uh, I, I know some of them are genuinely hurting them, but the main reason is these people are going to be to Trump in the next election or any Trump favoring uh, candidate for the Republican Party, what the coronavirus was in the election uh, against Trump. They're going to get a lot of IDs, which will be driver's licenses, Mm -hmm. The driver's license in Illinois here allows you to be uh, uh, registered automatically registered to vote from your license. Yeah, when you 
Yeah, when you're mailed out a bunch of, when you mail out all those ballots, and we had that situation uh, here in the Chicago area, there were in uh, there were doorways of apartment buildings full of ballots that you know laying around for people who moved and don't live there or whatever you know, and but they're each individually a, a valid ballot, and the outside is an envelope that when it's mailed in by somebody. I don't know who would gather them, mail them in, but if a person, if some persons did that, the inside ballot then that that's and there is the actual ballot for whom you're voting. Well, the outside envelope has a signature put on the inside ballot that they pull out of the envelope at the wow. county place has a signature. They compare the two to make sure they're correct. And I've been talking about looking at Atlanta with a microscope. That what I understand there after all the people after the. Uh, plumbing emergency where everybody's told they got to leave right away. People went who worked there just as soon as they locked the door, they went to the table where underneath the draping, they pulled out all these bell, uh, these boxes and uh, containers with uh, ballots and zoomed through them so fast that it's highly unlike it. It's very questionable that they actually were looking closely at the signature. Right. No, I get what you're saying. Uh, ultimately you're saying it's easy for them to commit fraud. And uh, from the license and straightforward. Now, listen, if, if we're counting on people to be honest, certain states are going to have um, a special license for people that uh, are not citizens. But in, in many states, you have to prove your citizenship or your residency status. Right. I think it's citizenship because you have to show a birth certificate. Uh, but maybe not. I don't know. I've never been a resident, so I wouldn't know. And that's why I think that, uh, there's such a problem with that part of it. Because you don't have to prove anything when you go to vote. And if, if, if it's all you, if the standard is all you have to do is have a driver's license, boom, you're in, right? And then when you're talking about the mail-in ballots, you're saying you can put whatever ballot you want inside because the signature part's on the outside of the envelope. Now, that's not every jurisdiction. Uh, I know that um, when I voted, um, I voted by mail one year uh, absentee because I was not going to be around. And um, it was not like that. I had to actually fill out a, a ballot and put it in a sealed envelope. But outside of that, I know that there are some districts that, that have this type of system. And it's not ideal. It's not ideal. It's not the type of system we need. So, yeah, with, with that type of um, election system that lacks integrity, um, we need to have a discussion. And um, I, I believe... Every citizen, this is this is their job. You know, one time I played an audio clip of Carrie Lake when she was running uh, in uh, Arizona. And something that she said really struck me. She said, listen, I don't care if you have to sleep outside the damn ballot box where you deposited your, your, your uh, drop-off ballot. You do what you got to do to make sure that that gets counted and nobody messes with it. And I said, you know what? That's the kind of energy that we need. You need to maintain that energy uh, in every aspect of this. Every county committee person, every state Republican Party person, every every everybody needs to make sure that they're doing absolutely everything. Every lawyer that's working pro bono with these parties, bring those lawsuits. If not, reach out to Liberty Council and the rest of them, the ADF and all the rest of these um, um, uh, conservative legal groups so that they can um, take a look at the case if there is a case that needs to be brought because we can't do it after the fact. We've got to start now making sure things are right. People have to take this absolutely seriously. Otherwise, I think we'll see a repeat of, of 2020 where there was so many problems and, and, and so many weaknesses in the system. 
and that's not what anybody wants. Thank you for the call, my brother. I appreciate it. Folks, we're coming right back with the rest of your calls. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I, I don't think uh, white uh, people worldwide have really reckoned with how much their own personal identity is shaped by constructions of whiteness and, and how much um, that construction of whiteness uh, prevents uh, white people from uh, connecting to humanity. In other words, uh... now this is this is very similar to the conversation I had with my uh, lawyer friend. Now he's suggesting, and again, you heard it, but let me give you what I heard him say. Right, this is uh, Professor Ibram X. Kendi, who wrote the book uh, "How to Be an Anti-Racist." He says that white people worldwide, so now he's talking about the guys in Scandinavia, the people in Sweden, uh, the, the people in Poland, right? White people worldwide have really reckoned with how much their own personal identity is shaped by constructions of whiteness. Now, I don't even know what all of that means, um, but I, I understand this to mean that because they're white and there are constructions of whiteness, I'm going to say their likeness, which happens to be white, and how much that construction of whiteness prevents white people from connecting to humanity. So he says, because I'm going to make a simple, uh, I'm going to really oversimplify here and say, you go to the gap in, I don't know, um, Oslo, right? Norway, anywhere in Europe. And when you're there, you may or may not see multicultural-looking models. You might see a, a, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed model, right? Because the chances are, in that part of the world, you're, everybody kind of looks like that there, right? So when you have, he's saying that these uh, constructs of whiteness prevent those white people from connecting to humanity. Now... I, I'm not saying that they're not connecting to humanity. I mean, if, uh, if, what state was it? I can't remember right now. But one of the Scandinavian countries, they were bragging about how they had brought down drastically the, uh, they were like, you know what? We, we fixed Down syndrome. We have no Down syndrome here. And the way they fixed it was testing. They tested and they said, oh, we think your kid's going to have Down syndrome. And they didn't give the moms options. They aborted every last one of those kids. So no kids with Down syndrome were born. 
And they took this as a bragging right. This is fantastic. We, we solved, we cracked the code. Iceland, there he goes. Iceland was the one that did that. So when you, when you have a, a situation like that, I would say that that's disconnected from humanity, right? They disconnected from the humanity of the child in the womb and how that child could have a productive, uh, uh, meaningful life to its family just by simply breathing and being alive. But they, they were separated from that. But were they separated from that part of humanity because of their whiteness? I'm going to venture to say no. It was because of their um, atheistic nature. Uh, it was because of their um, focus on science rather than on compassion. But ultimately, it had nothing to do with them being white, right? That would be like saying the, the reason uh, uh, for all the crime in Chicago is because of the constructs of blackness. No, that's not it either. When you personify evil, when you personify things that are bad, you're doing just that. You are bringing about through your personhood things that are bad. So for this guy, Ibram X. Kendi, to say that this is because uh, they're white, he's wrong. Now, there's a, there's, a, there's a little bit left in this cut. I want to play it before we hit the break. Go ahead. Recognizing that... Uh, when you when you recognize th that you are part and parcel of humanity, in other words, you're not over humanity, right? Uh, it it allows you to really be able to connect to people who don't look like you, who have kinky hair, who have dark skin, uh, and to see yourself in them. And it's whiteness that prevents that. Right, and, and when you're not able to see yourself uh, in other human beings, that creates all sorts of problems. Um, but not just societal problems, personal problems. Uh, that, that I think hopefully this, this, this film and this work will, will liberate those folks from. So I, I think it's, this liberate, it's liberating all the way around, right? It, it, you know, I think it, it will liberate you know, really all of us because uh, you know, we've all been told a lie about ourselves and other people. Now, again, I think th this is where he is contorting things, right? I don't disagree with some of what he said, right? Um, he said you, you need to be able to connect with people who, who look like you. Yeah, I think so. Just because you are, uh, you are a part of humanity doesn't mean you're over humanity. Sure, I agree with that too. I don't know where he's getting the presumption that somehow because people are white and they are a majority in these countries, because uh, he said all over the world, so I'm presuming he's talking about Europe. Um, yeah, good luck finding people of color. They're there, but they're not there in large part. It's not like London where there's tons of people of color. The, the, you know, you go to a lot of these countries in Europe and, and there's pockets, but everybody's white. So ultimately, just because they're the majority doesn't mean that they don't recognize black people. I, I've never experienced that. I don't think that they do that. So to me, this he's conflating two arguments here that really just don't make sense. And yes, you do have personal problems. You do have societal problems when you don't see yourself in other people. You know who did that? Hitler. Hitler did that. He didn't see the Jews like he saw other people. He othered them. He made them uh, pigs, animals, subhuman cockroaches, and made it like they should be dead, right? So I agree, you shouldn't do that. That is what Hitler did. So, so far, Kendi and I are on the same page. But when you say it's because of whiteness, right? No, wrong. It's not because of whiteness. And you don't need to end whiteness to liberate people. 
That's crazy, Professor Kendi. Coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, with a couple of minutes to go, I want to go to Linda in Albany, New York, WGDJ. Linda, go right ahead quickly. Thank you, Rich, for taking my call. It suddenly dawned on me recently, as soon as Biden declared open borders, that either the Republican Party or people who really want people to come here legally should have gotten documentaries made and and, uh, sent to the ambassadors of the different countries to get to people to tell them to come legally and and how to properly do it instead of uh, the, the horrendous things they're going through by being involved with these cartels. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, it's my pleasure, Linda. Thank you for the call. Big shout out to Albany, New York, WGDJ. Listen, uh, I I agree with you. Um, I I don't know that Biden's made a formal declaration of an open border. I think he actually says quite the opposite every time, despite um, that actually happening. All you got to do is just open your eyes, go there, see some of the video, see some of the uh, social media video, which to me is the more telling because it's not edited. It's not selected by any group of editors. Let Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Let Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. 